this episode of Community Matters Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss issues important to managing and governing condos, cooperatives, and homeowner associations. My name is Tony Campisi, Executive Director of the Keystone Chapter of Community Associations Institute. What is a resale certificate? Simply put, a resale certificate is a legally mandated document containing a very large trove of information that a seller must provide to a buyer of a home or unit in a community association. In reality, it's a lot more complicated than that. Preparation of a resale certificate is important to both the buyer and the seller of a home. Its contents are extensive and its preparation is time consuming. We'll cover all the details of resale disclosure certificates in today's episode of Community Matters. My guest today is Neil Hilkert, Esquire, an attorney who specializes in community association law with the law firm Reidenbach and Associates, LLC, located in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Welcome to Community Matters Podcast, Neil, and please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Good morning, Tony. Uh, Thank you for the opportunity to participate in the podcast today. I'm looking forward to it. I've had the good fortune to practice law a number of years in both the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the state of New Jersey. My practice has always focused on real estate primarily and real estate matters, uh, including litigation. Also, I've had the good fortune to emphasize in that real estate practice, work with planned communities or community associations, again, in both jurisdictions. Over the years, not only have I had the opportunity to represent many associations, but I too have owned property and community associations in a number of states and also served as a member of the executive board in certain associations where I've either lived or owned, owned real estate. So I have a passion and an and interest in community association law. So I greatly appreciate the opportunity to be here today. As you mentioned, over the last 12 years, I've practiced law with the uh, law firm of Reidenbach and Associates in Wayne, Pennsylvania. Reidenbach has been very active in CAI and a number of my colleagues and myself serve on various CAI committees. For the last couple of years, I've had the good fortune to be a participant in the communications committee, which I always enjoy. Well, we're glad to have you today, Neil. Let's start with the most obvious question. What is the purpose of a resale certificate? So the resale certificate is actually mandated uh, by law. It's a requirement. And its overall purpose is really consumer protection. And what I mean by that is it's a requirement of a seller to a buyer, essentially, in a planned community, that being a condominium association or a homeowners association, to provide certain material information which a buyer would find important in making an important decision, such as buying a unit or real property in a planned community. So again, the overall purpose is full disclosure to give a buyer important information, they would likely need to consider whether or not that particular purpose, that particular purchase that they're focusing on, again, of a condo, townhome, single family home, is the appropriate purchase for them. 
You mentioned that the resale certificate is mandated by law. Can you explain the law that governs this sort of disclosure and what its applicability is in the real world and, and who it impacts? Yes. So the in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, as in many states, uh, there are specific statutes relating to planned communities, condominiums, and homeowners association. In Pennsylvania, we have two particular pieces of legislation which control the Uniform Condominium Act, UCA, or the Uniform Planned Community Act, the UPCA, or homeowners associations. In sections 5407 of the UPCA and section 3407 of the UCA, both of those sections are very similar in their requirements, set forth the right criteria for the information that a seller must present to a buyer when they receive notice uh, that a buyer is interested in purchasing property in a planned community. Now that interest uh, is indicated actually in the agreement of sale. Uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, the PAR form or Pennsylvania Association of Realtors Standard Form and Agreement of Sale has specific provisions uh, that trigger the requirement for the for the resale certificate in section or paragraph 1616C. So again, if you're a sales agent and you're representing a seller, once the agreement is signed, there's a specific period of time that the parties have agreed to as to when the request is made to provide the information by the association or their managing agent uh, to the seller and then from the seller to the buyer uh, who has requested that information via the agreement of sale. Neil, what's the consequence of failing to disclose or, or failing to provide the resale certificate? So in the Pennsylvania Association of Realtors Standard Form Agreement, uh, what the parties have agreed to that uh, once a request is made, there is a 10 day period of time for which that information is to be provided by the association. Once that information is provided by the association, uh, back to the seller and the seller to the buyer's agent, so on and so forth, then the buyer has five days to review that information. If the buyer during that five day period determines almost for any reason, uh, obviously it needs to be based on the association documents, but it's pretty broad based, they have the right to void the agreement if they find something in that information that would cause them to pause and hesitate in, in pursuing the sale. Well, let's get to the, the meat of the subject here. The contents of the resale disclosure certificate are very extensive. Can you detail what a resale certificate must uh, contain? Yeah, you're right. It is extensive. And if you look at those provisions of the act that I referenced, section 3407 of the UCA and 5407 of the UPCA, you'll see this list of 17 items there generally. Some of those are a bit duplicate, duplicative and some even are a little bit hard to understand in terms of what information is, is needed. So let me just touch on the ones that are most critical uh, for the purpose of our discussion this morning. Some of the obvious things are that if you're buying into a planned community, there's going to be common interest assessments. You're going to have to pay a monthly, quarterly, or whatever the case may be, an assessment, you as the homeowner, to the association 
so that the association could properly maintain the common facilities, roads, uh, streets, sidewalks, other amenities such as playgrounds, swimming pools, so on and so forth. So obviously any bar would wanna know what their monthly assessment may be. That's one of the requirements. That's one of the pieces of information that'll be provided. Number two, there may be special assessments. There may be other assessments that have been uh, implemented by the association and also need to be paid monthly. Just one example is maybe in the pre previous snow season, there was extensive snowfall that wasn't budgeted for. Uh, the budget uh, reserves for snow uh, were not uh, sufficient to meet the need for snow. So the association in order to balance the budget had to special assess the difference between what was budgeted and what the snow costs are for that actual year. Therefore, that's an additional special assessment. There are other types of special assessments, but that's just an obvious illustration. Uh, also, um, an associate has long-term what they call capital improvement needs. Again, there may be roof replacement, uh, paving replacement, concrete replacement. If you have amenities such as swimming pools and things like that, pumps need to be replaced. They don't need to be replaced every year, but it's a five-year, 10-year, 15-year, 20, 25, maybe 30-year process. And uh, proper financial management association requires a certain percentage of each dollar collected and assesses to be set aside for those long-term capital needs. So certainly any uh, buyer would wanna look at the reserves set aside for these long-term capital improvements, these needs and say, is there sufficient money there to satisfy the future needs of the association in terms of those major capital uh, improvement items or replacement items? Uh, otherwise, I, if I'm an informed buyer, uh, may realize that they may have to do a special assessment because the funds are just not there. That happens in certain associations. Not all associations plan appropriately and are well-funded. So that's another item that a prospective buyer should be aware of. And then there's, there's very logical things such as monthly operating statements, income sheets, balance sheets, so on and so forth. So there is a specific list of financial information uh, that should be provided. Where it gets a little more complicated is if there's a project, a long-term capital improvement project discussed by the board, but not yet specifically planned with a date or time, uh, that becomes a little more challenging in terms of how much that information should be, be provided because it's sort of not definite yet. And that's probably the most troubling part of the disclosure that uh, associations find challenging. I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but the, the certificates also include things like the, the bylaws, the rules and regulations, et cetera. So someone can't come back, you know, five months after they buy their house and say, well, I didn't know I couldn't own a pet in this condominium building. Is that correct? Yeah, that's very true, Tony. And uh, let me just go back and talk a little bit about the basic what we call condominium documents in addition to the financial documents, which obviously are important. Uh, the declaration, the bylaws, the rules and regulations, they're voluminous. Unfortunately, many buyers either don't understand them or have the time to read them. But nonetheless, once you purchase your home as a matter of law, you have contracted to comply and abide by those terms and conditions set forth in what we call the governing documents. Again, the declaration, the bylaws, the rules and regulations. So the resale package, which is called the resale certificate, can be quite large, many, many pages, when you include the deck, the bylaws, the rules and regulations, all the financial information I just discussed, um, 
So those are all important documents, all things that a buyer needs to consider in making an informed decision to purchase a property in a planned community. And it's certainly a lot of information to digest, but nonetheless, it's a requirement as a matter of law. Neil, isn't it true that a resale certificate is outdated the moment it's issued? Uh, for example, and you mentioned some of this, there could be an incident subsequent to the issuance of a resale certificate, like a weather event that causes a special assessment or a sudden need for a capital expenditure that requires a, a special assessment, and therefore the financial information has changed. Or let me give you a, a, another example. You know, you get your resale certificate, you, you sign the agreement of sale, you get the resale certificate, there's six weeks between that time and, and the settlement and the association adopts a new rule. Maybe it's on pets or it says you can't paint your front door blue. My, the point is, it, 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 is a seller required to update or issue a new resale certificate at any given point in the real estate sales process? So, you know, a, that's a very interesting question. There's a sort of a simple part to that answer and a little more complicated part to that answer. The simple part is yes, because again, we're looking at full disclosure we want to, up to the date of settlement, uh, to provide a prospective buyer with all material information that would be relevant to them in terms of making a decision to buy that respective property in a planned community. So one of the simple things that need to be updated right up to the date of settlement is what to do. Um, typically, again, a competent experienced title company handling the sale will always reach out to the a property manager or to the association and request an updated payoff in terms of the assessments due. So that those assessments due as of the date of settlement are paid by the seller or the buyer, depending on who may be responsible uh, and each have certain responsibilities. And obviously sometimes those things are negotiable as everything is an agreement of sale, but nonetheless, uh, past assessments and any other obligations owed must be, must be satisfied at the time of settlement to clear title and there are specific provisions in the act that will affect uh, who's responsible for any obligation that's not resolved at the time of settlement. And that's uh, a whole other podcast at another time. Uh, so that's sort of handled as a matter of course, if you're dealing with competent parties, particularly a title company. The more complicated thing, Tony, which you reference, is what if something unknown or unsuspected happened in the community, which obviously, again, looking at it from the buyer's perspective, would cause them to pause and think about pursuing uh, this particular purchase. And again, sort of the overall question is materiality. Is it an important piece of information that a buyer would want to know or need to know? Or maybe specifically, it is something that's required in 3407 or 5407 of the Act in those 17 items I just enumerated in part. Uh, again, full disclosure is required. Where it gets a little more challenging, as I said, in those other things outside the, the payoff amount or what's financially owed is what then would trigger perhaps the opportunity for the buyer to void the agreement at that point in time, rescind the agreement and not continue the, pay, the sale. That's always where it gets a little bit challenging, a little bit litigious possibly. Hopefully those things can be resolved between the parties, but nonetheless, full disclosure is, uh, is the primary concern here, what the courts will look at in making determination uh, as whether or not the seller via the association did provide all material information. 
So that, that leads me to my next question. There, there's a cost to the production of the resale certificate, even though in many cases these days, these documents may all be submitted electronically. Um, there's a cost. And we hear from time to time complaints from various sectors, sometimes realtors, about the fees that are charged for a resale certificate. Can you talk about the actual costs of preparing a resale certificate and what goes into that? Yeah, that's not an uncommon complaint if you're in the property management business to any degree. Um, so, so again, as I mentioned, uh, the, the certificate request can be time consuming, it can be voluminous uh, and therefore costly. Um, so it's, it's, it, it's better, I, I think, and, and Tony, you probably realize this too in, in all the work that you've done over the years, that those associations that are professionally managed probably have a more efficient streamlined process for meeting the objectives of the resale certificate. Those which are self-managed, usually one of the board members is doing it or appointed person in the association is doing it, makes it a little more difficult when you consider all the work that needs to be done. So the resources out there, the old fashioned way, you make copies, you do it by hand, you fill out the form, you answer all the questions and you hand it off to, uh, the seller's agent who hands it off to the buyer's agent who hands it off to the buyer. Again, assuming we're, we're complying with the appropriate period of time. Today, many of the, the management companies, uh, and of course, self-managed associations can do the same thing. There's online vendors that provide these services online. So the association constantly updates, revises, and uploads current information that is part and parcel to the resale certificate and the resale package any changes in rules, regulations, any amendments to the declaration, uh, same with the bylaws, all the recent financial information which changes frequently, obviously we know that, uh, changes on a monthly basis. Uh, so all that documents are load, uploaded and either the association will go online and trigger the preparation for the resale certificate package through the uh, vendor services that are private, provided for online uh, or in some even more sophisticated automated uh, services, the actual uh, seller's agent can go online and order them for their client, the seller, and then the package gets downloaded, put together, and sent off to, uh, to the buyer's agent for the buyer's edification and, and review. So again, depending on the size of the documents, how many copies of, of pages there are in essence, how much time it takes, uh, the management companies have to absorb that cost and they typically pass that cost on to the seller. And again, it's negotiable who's going to pay for what between the seller and the buyer. Typically, it's the seller who's going to absorb those costs. But just so everybody knows, those costs continue to increase, as you, may, as you might be aware. Uh, and those costs run in the hundreds of dollars to, for the time and the work and the preparation and obviously the materials themselves. Uh, to prepare that document. It's not uncommon to get a, a package, if we measured in inches, would be several inches thick uh, in terms of documents that are that need to be provided as part of the requirements of the act. Yeah, I think this is an important topic to to emphasize because again, we we sometimes hear from people, well, it's it's all electronic. All you gotta do is click a button and the resale certificate gets sent out. And that's just not the case. As you mentioned, there's time involved. There's there's a person's time to actually create the documents, upload them, or copy them and send them. 
Uh, and even as you mentioned, the, the sophisticated systems that exist now for sending this information electronically, there's a cost to that. Those aren't free. So there's certainly costs that have to be covered. Uh, and that's why we see the, the, uh, the resale certificate fees. Um, exactly. So I, yeah, I just wanted to emphasize that. No, it's a necessity. It's a requirement. And I think, uh, all, look, all the management companies are well aware of, of the pushback they get from, uh, from sellers and because they're members of their own associations. But again, uh, from my perspective, they all try to do the very best job they can. They try, all try to be as efficient as they can, but they have a duty. There's liability both on the management company and the association for not providing complete and updated information. So it's it's a necessity. It's an unfortunate necessity, but but in terms of time and cost, but it's actually a needed. Uh, it's 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 mandated by law. And it's needed to provide that information to the buyers. And I think the costs overall are, are fair and reasonable. But as with everything, they continue to accelerate just as a matter of course. That's that's true of everything. Good 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 point to end on, Neil. I want to thank you for joining me today for this episode of Community Matters Podcast. This is an important topic that often comes up in conversations that we have with homeowners, elected board members, and with community association managers. And I'm sure this information will help answer those questions. No, I want to say thank you, Tony. I appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning and uh, to work with you on preparing this podcast. Well, thank you for being here, Neil. We appreciate that. And for more resources and best practices on managing and governing your condominium, cooperative, or homeowners association, please contact CAI or visit our website at www.cai-padelval.org. Thank you for listening.